My cat Rachel is the silliest cat I know. One time, she played inside a paper bag for three hours. What a mystery. But I'm glad her health isn't. Thanks to the color-changing litter from Fresh Step Crystals Health Monitoring Litter. This premium color-changing litter has pH-activated crystals that can help me detect potential illness early. That makes it easy for me to stay on top of her health and well-being. I may not understand all of Rachel's silly quirks, but I can keep up with the important things. Find Fresh Step Crystals Health Monitoring Litter at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome into this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Ryan Labner here. Very pleased to welcome back to the United States of America the one and only Rex Hoggard, who will be in, made it. On in just a second uh, to recap his fortnight in Tokyo. I was in Memphis for the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational, uh, gorging my way through the barbecue scene, of course, but also uh, reporting on the penultimate event of the regular season on the PJ Tour. And we'll get up to, to all that here in just a second. But first, he may, he may not have gotten the job done in Memphis, but Sam Burns fired a final round 64 to reach the playoff of Memphis over the weekend. Burns did it with some help from his Callaway clubs. Burns used an epic speed driver, a club that has had a sensational run of late, highlighted by Phil Mickelson's win at the PGA, John Rahm's breakthrough at the U.S. Open, and then Xander Shoffley's gold medal victory in Tokyo. Burns also relied on his Chrome Soft X golf ball. Why does he love it so much? He said it's because it's hot up the face and it gives him all the shots that he needs to be successful. Now, speaking of success, through the magic of air travel, Rex is back from Tokyo. Rexy, uh, first of all, what did you do once you first got back in the great US of A? Uh, first off, how's your cholesterol? Good? Did you check out? You all right? Little shaky. Little shaky. Yep. Gained about four to five pounds in Memphis. We can we can get into that. Yeah, that's that because that was so cool for you to keep sending me those pictures as I was eating. Not great. In Tokyo. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to say I didn't eat great in Tokyo. But I'm, I'm so the, glad that find I find the nearest Domino's. Yeah, I'm so glad I could live vicariously through you. We put a lot of thought into that because we were flying from Tokyo uh, direct to Atlanta. So there was like a two and a half hour window of trying to clear customs, making it to our flight and trying to get some sort of first meal back in the United States. So we kind of had to settle for that. I'm trying to remember the name. of it. It's the uh, GB Brewery, Gordon and Oh, up the upstairs one. Yes, yes. Right so near we settled like the Chick Fil A there. Yes, yes, yes. Please, a large IPA and a hamburger, please, because that's what I've been hankering now for two weeks. Oh, <laughs> I didn't that hurt. <laughs> uh, how how long how long was your grass when you when you got home? Oh, I should have sent you a picture. It was it was uh, it took me better part of six hours yesterday just to cut the front yard, <laughs> just a jungle. You know what my kids didn't do? They didn't mow the lawn when I was gone. Big shock. What's the point of having three? teenage boys if they're not going to help out around the house uh apparently just to eat everything i have in the house and for me to buy them clothes because they keep growing out of clothes that's the only reason apparently to have three boys uh i, I take it you are happy to be back you had a memorable 
uh, stretch in Tokyo, of course, including the Team USA sweep uh, top the podium. First, Xander Schauffele, and then Nelly Korda, the world number one, who uh, continued just her absolute breakout year. World number one, won her first major, um, first American, by the way, to reach the top of the world ranking since 2014. And now winning the gold medal, uh, Mone Anami uh, had the silver medal in a playoff over Lydia Ko, who became the first player, male or female, uh, to win a medal in both Olympic Games since golf returned in 2016, which was certainly very impressive. We talked, obviously, about the men last week on the podcast. What was your takeaway from the women's competition, which, once again, was was really good? It was so compelling, and for all the reasons that I'm sure we talked about last week, that to get into this week, that coming into these Olympics, there were so many unknown because of the restrictions, because of the ongoing pandemic, because it wasn't going to be like previous Olympics. It wasn't going to be like Rio. And I was still, when I came away from this, I was still shocked, amazed really, that there was still the Olympic spirit, even though that it wasn't the full Monty, so to speak. It it wasn't, okay, I'm going to go stay in the village and I'm going to do all these other events and I'm going to feel like I really went to the Olympics. It was much different. Golf was kind of removed. It was about an hour and a half drive from the village. It was about an hour and a half from anything. But at when you get when we finally got to that final round and there's a tropical storm bearing down on us and we have a very small window to get this done, I was amazed at how quickly the competition took over. And as dominant as Nellie Corder was, and I do not cover enough women's golf, I will admit that now, she was so impressive from start to finish, but it was a nervy finish. And suddenly you start having Lydia Ko, you had Aditi Ashuk, which is an amazing story, trying to win a medal for all of India, the subcontinent, which would have been amazing. Lydia Ko as you pointed out, the first player ever to win individual medals. I just, I walked away thinking to myself that this is sort of the beauty of sport and we can get back into, you hate the format. I understand that there's a location issue that I think we need to address going forward because it'll be the same thing in Paris in a few years, as far as the venue being separate from the Olympic village and everything else that goes on in the Olympics. However, once the competition plays out, and you have that final round drama that we had both with the men and the women, it is a special two weeks. And I do have to give a tip of the cap to all of the Olympic officials because one of the main storylines, at least watching from afar, was this tropical storm bearing down. You had the oppressive heat, which I'm sure was a delight for you wearing a mask everywhere you went uh, at 110 degree heat indexes. And, and these tournament officials, they could have panicked. They absolutely could have turned the Olympic tournament into 54 holes. They could have sent these weary players out twice for an extra nine holes, which would be 27 holes a day in 110 degree heat. It certainly didn't seem like a lot of the players were uh, in favor of that move. And yet I thought the officials really handled it well. They kept all the players abreast of what the latest developments were. They told them all of these various scenarios. And so you, Hey, you may need to approach this third round as if it is the final round. And instead after a 45 minute delay, uh, on Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, they were able to squeeze in the, the final two holes and, and then the playoff. I thought that was just a, a really tricky situation that was expertly handled um, by, by all. And it, w- it was great to see them get it in. You, you mentioned Nelly Corda and the impressive play. I believe this is the first time that you've been able to see her up close, the 23-year-old American superstar. What kind of struck you about her performance and – and, and just kind of what she brings to the table for women's golf. How well-rounded her game was. It was absolutely amazing to watch her. And, and it seems to me that 
and you could probably have this conversation about a lot of players on the men's side, that if she has a decent putting week, just looking at it statistically, that she's going to be among the favorites to win every single week on the LPGA Tour, I would think, simply because she can overpower a golf course. Her iron play is as good as anyone else is out there. And she is, you know, she's experimenting with different cross-handed and doing different things with her putting. To your point, I was on the flight with Heather Daly D'Onofrio, who was the LPGA official, pretty much calling the shots. And we were, before we loaded onto the plane, we were kind of talking just about the week. And you're absolutely right. They could have panicked. They could have done a lot of different things. They got lucky. I'm not going to go completely out on a limb that, look, they could have gotten very unlucky and we could still be there. Actually, we wouldn't because they would have no, sent us wouldn't. home eventually. We, they would have sent us home eventually. But they did get lucky, and she he, she admitted to it that the storm could have come in early. We could have ended up with a longer delay on Saturday. And then once we ran into Sunday, having my flight left about 420 on Sunday afternoon, Tokyo time, and the monsoon hit, the, t- the tropical storm hit, you could not have played on Sunday. So all of these things kind of conspired to work out. So, yes, they made the right calls, and they did get – a couple of lucky bounces, but I think that's what you absolutely needed in that situation. And, and you're, you're exactly right on, on that point. And, and Nelly Corda, to me, when you think about her gold medal performance and really capping this, this breakout year, she, she does everything well. I mean, she's, she's top 10 on tour in driving distance. She's top 20 in greens and regulation, and she's a top 20 putter. <laughs> like now, that's a well-roundedness yeah. that, that we haven't seen. And so when you think of these great American players that we've had over the past, let's say decade and, and our former colleague, Randall Mel, you know, he would document this and, and every, every year it seemed like he would write a feature. Hey, where are all the, the, the great young American players, right? Like it was, it was a, it was a big issue. They were getting absolutely dominated by all the South Koreans, especially in uh, the game's biggest events. And so when you think about these, these best players over the past, decade stacy lewis uh reached world number one major champion obviously a gritty competitor but she probably didn't have the the top end talent that you were looking for for a sustained run at number one lexi thompson one of the longest players that we've ever seen on the lpga but her putting has been a bugaboo since day one it it remains that that way right now um at age 26 you think about michelle Wee, who obviously garnered a lot of attention well, she battled injuries and she has battled injuries now for the better part of a decade. These players now, whether it's Jessica quarter or uh, Danielle Kang, I mean, they just, they just haven't been able to, to put together a run where they look like they're, they're going to have staying power for, for five years. They kind of flash and then, and then fade. I don't get that feeling at all from, from Nellie Corda. She's maybe had a couple of nagging back issues over the past couple of years, but other than that, uh, her swing is powerful. It's repeatable. She seems to have a good perspective. She's very hungry. Um, it, it seems like all of the stars are aligning for what could be uh, kind of a, a transformative period for, for American golf with, with Nelly Corda at the top of the pyramid. And you mentioned her putting. She was outside the top 70 on the LPGA last season before making that switch. So it's been beneficial going to the cross-handed. She certainly made the most of it last week. And, and it, it was a brilliant performance. But I also want to point out that Anami, after having watched... Never even heard of her. Never even heard of her. A, a star on the Japanese LPGA Tour. I, from the bios I read and all the research I was able to do, 
what I'm, I mean, this was amazing watching Hideki Matsuyama come up short. And that was kind of one of the heartbreaks of the Olympics in Japan. He had the opportunity to win a medal. He was in the playoff, the seven player playoff for a bronze medal. He didn't get it done. That was like the biggest disappointment. That was such a punch for the entire country. And there was so much pressure on him. There was so much pressure on her. I mean, of all of the, the handful of American journalists who were there for Nelly Korda and to, to coronate an, another gold medal winner for the American side, Team USA is having this great run. There was so many people there and there weren't supposed to be any people on property. There were so many people there rooting for Aname and she just completely dismissed the pressure. I mean, it, it was an amazing performance because that's Lydia Ko she was going to head with coming down the stretch. That's not someone that has a history of blinking in these situations. And for her to do that, for a player that's not used to that limelight, that's not used to playing at that stage, it was mighty impressive. And how about your girl, Aditi? I mean, she was, she was carrying some of her drives about 198 yards. I mean, that's Rex Hoggard-esque distance off the tee. And like we're talking Nelly Korda driving distance top 10 on tour. I'm not sure there's anyone shorter than Aditi Ashuk. And yet, she hung in there the entire time on a golf course that was playing very long. I mean, she's hitting fairway woods into some of these par fours, par five. She wasn't even going to sniff. Um, I believe you covered her back in 2016 as well at Rio, where she was kind of a feel good story of those games. This, she was even more competitive. Um, she lives in a country with 1.4 billion people, uh, a country in which there are about only 60 golf courses. She is the president of India uh, tweeting at her, uh, congratulating her on her run. Do you think that that just finishing fourth in the Olympics can have a, a huge impact on golf in, in, in a place that's not necessarily a hotbed right now? I think it can because I think she finished 26th, if I'm not mistaken, in Rio. And that was after she put herself into the top 10 through two rounds and, and she was sort of just this darling story of the 2016 game. She was an 18 year old. She, as you pointed out, kind of carrying the whole weight of the entire nation of India on her shoulders. And that was the heartbreak. I mean, it, as much as pressure as I just talked about it, Anami had going into that final round, Aditi broke down afterwards because she knew that missing out on that opportunity to win a medal to your point. Yes. I mean, just the stories that I wrote last week, the people that I talked to with, with the golf federation in India, that the other players from India, I had a chance to talk with Anabam Lahiri the week before about what a medal would mean for golf. And this is the whole point of golf being in the Olympics was beyond, forget about the Americans sweeping the gold medals. So that's great. They make easy stories for you and I to write. The reason why golf wants to be back, wanted to be back in the Olympics was to grow the game in these sort of underdeveloped golf nations. India would certainly be one of those. And a medal for Aditi Ashok would be amazing on a golf course that you pointed out. She had no business being anywhere close to the lead on. She gained 13 shots on the field and strokes gained putting 13. I've never even heard of such a number. Like if, if you think about who it's kind of Jason day ask, yeah. On any given week on the PJ tour, like the number one, player in, in strokes gained putting he's probably somewhere in that plus five to seven range if if it's going to be a winner on the pj tour plus 13 i mean it's just incredible her stroke looks so simple uh so repeatable um she was an absolute joy to watch uh and you know what a su super hours. secret beer is by the way a super secret beer do you know what that is no 
so to, to give you a snapshot, the second week we were, because we weren't actually in Tokyo proper where we were. Did you and Adidia Shook have a super secret beer? No, 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 no. This is kind of a little bit out of context, but I do want to explain this. The second week, however, the emergency protocols made it out to where we were. So essentially everything closed up at 730 at night and they weren't allowed to sell alcohol in the restaurants, which you would think would be problematic considering that. Criminal. That's yes. absolutely criminal. It would be problematic. So there was actually an Italian place in our hotel, which was one of just a handful of places in our hotel we were allowed to eat because we weren't allowed outside the hotel because of the protocols. And so that first night, which would have been Monday of the second week, we sort of walk into the same restaurant. We're all kind of sad because we know, you know, just water for me, please. And at some point, it, the same waiter sort of waited on our table, which was all of us, probably 15 of us from the golf channel all week long. And he finally kind of turns to everyone and he whispers, super secret beer. And we all sort of looked at each other like, yeah, sure. Like, yes. how's this going to play? How's this going to play out? He would get an empty bottle of whatever the non-alcoholic version of our Sapporo's or, or whatever we were ordering. And then he would go get glasses of beer of the proper beer with the alcohol in it and put it in front of each person. And so that's that was the game we played for the last seven days we were there where we would have to order the super secret beer, get the empty bottles of non-alcoholic Odul sitting in front of us and then get the proper stuff in the cup. You better have tipped him like 50% each night on so much. On he was, his name was Shu. He was so nice. He got such big tips. It was fantastic. It's a wonderful story. Uh, over in Memphis, uh, which I believe you were still paying attention to, I did not have to get any super secret beers. I was very clear in what I was going for, and it was a Ghost River lager, uh, nice. which was delicious. We'll, we'll get into my barbecue extravaganza at the end of the podcast. Uh, but it was certainly an interesting Sunday at the WGC FedEx sanctioned invitational. It looked like it was going to be a Harris English runaway, or you could just kind of sleepwalk to the finish. Uh, I, I headed out there uh, on the back nine to, to watch what I thought was going to be kind of a coronation. Here's Harris English going to be the tour's first three-time winner this season is going to win his first WGC. He's going to move up to number six on the U S Ryder cup standing, which is that uh, final qualifying spot. Everything was looking good. And then the 11th hole happened. And storm clouds are moving in and they, he made double Bryson Shambo made triple and they were off and running literally uh, trying to get in while also not getting a bad time while they were on the clock. And so it was a very interesting finish. One of the more, I would say one of the more bizarre and disheartening back nine walks I've ever had while covering the PJ tour. I say that because it was really uncomfortable watching Harris, who, I mean, you and I have covered him a long time. I've covered him all the way back to college. I mean, he just doesn't do anything quickly. He's not, I'm not saying he's slow, but he, he talks slowly. He walks slowly. He's never in a rush. It's just kind of that Southerner uh, to his core. And to see him in such a position where, you know, he's really rushing his process. He wasn't thinking clearly. He's walking quickly to his ball. It was it was really hard to watch and, and, you, and you felt badly for him because there was nothing that they could do. I mean, the golf course was playing difficult. He has a huge term on the line, $1.9 million. We just talked about all the stakes and to see him really flustered uh, was, was, was very strange. So you have that element, the competitive element. And then it was also difficult to watch Bryson DeChambeau who has become a frequent target on social media. He had another uh, forgettable week. Um, on the golf course as well with some of his comments about COVID. We can get into that situation here in just a little bit. But once Bryson starts playing poorly, then it becomes open season for him. And all of the teasing, the heckling, 
the taunting, it comes out in full force. And so you had Harris who's trying to hang on for what would be the biggest title of his career and Bryson trying not to snap off uh, anyone's head who called him Brooksy. It was, it was a really difficult final two hours at, at, at TPC South. And I'm not taking anything away from Abe answer who prevailed in a, in a playoff victory over uh, Sam Burns and Hideki Matsuyama. Um, obviously it was great to see him finally break through after having so many close calls, but to me, Sunday in Memphis will, will go down um, for the unfortunate ending for, for Harris English and, and Bryson DeChambeau. Well, and reading the stories afterwards about them being on the clock, Bryson and Harris English, uh, and I was immediately struck by this idea And because late last year I was doing a story on the, the PGA Tour reworked their pace of play policy because essentially what they were doing is they changed from watching groups and trying to keep groups on the proper pace and went to the individual, which is something that they've needed to do for a long time. So along these lines, they were going to target the slowest 10% of the PGA tour. And I'm asking players late last fall, you know, just how is this going to help pace of play? Harris was one of the players I asked about. And I was surprised when I asked him, he said, I'm on the list. And I didn't realize that he was that slow. He, I knew he was a little bit on the deliberate side, but he was very, very upfront with me saying that they have broken it down and, and he, he gets a little catatonic on the greens and he's got to pick up the pace. And he said it was an eye-opening experience. And I think he has done a better job. I believe he's played his way off that lower 10%. Everyone's going to look at what happened on Sunday and say, well, Bryson, he's slow. He takes too much time. He's reading too much in, into all this. I'm not, and I'm not here to defend Bryson for anything along these lines. However, Harris is still slow. And you saw it on Sunday on the greens. And you can say whatever happened on the front nine with those two double bogeys and the other bogey, that that had everything to do with pace of play. And it's he's is he needs to own that as much as Bryson in that particular situation. And and, and Harris did own it, and he said, you know, yeah, it's very difficult to rush like that. But he said he needs to work on it with his caddy. Now, this would not have happened. They would not have fallen out of position if not for some tricky rulings. He had Bryson DeChambeau's uh, misadventure with a boundary fence when he nearly drove it out of bounds on the sixth hole. The very next hole after that lengthy delay, Bryson was basically playing a game of operation. Uh, in the pine straw and trying not, not to get his ball moved. At, at that point, so you take that factor. Also the factor, the group ahead was warned about pace a couple holes ago. So obviously they're, they're sprinting ahead. And you had a situation where regardless of how quickly they played over the next three hours, they were not going to make up that difference. Like it just, it just wasn't going to happen. The group ahead of them is playing quicker because they don't want to get back on the clock and you had these rulings. And so I have an issue actually with the, with the pace play policy. You have to consider the fact of why they, they fell off pace. If Bryson DeChambeau and Harris English did not have any rules issues, then they would not have fallen behind. This is such your MO in this particular situation. This is such your MO and in, in, in another world, in another podcast, you and I would be complaining about slow play and something needs to be done. And the PGA tour is too afraid to hand Nothing, out. No, I have and no in this issue particular with slow play. I could care less, but you're very much in the minority because everyone, all they want to do is sit around and talk about pace of play. And look, it is slow on the PGA tour, given the player, given the golf course, given the situations, it is slow on the PGA tour. No, no one on the PGA tour can say they're a fast player because that player just doesn't exist. Maybe you were, when you join the PGA Tour, you're not anymore because they beat it out of you. They beat the humanity as far as playing at a decent pace out of you from the time you get on the PGA Tour. Finally, the Tour has a policy that isn't perfect, but it puts some teeth into the policy. It gives the officials a chance to target 
the what we know are the habitually slow players. And that's exactly what they did here. Make no mistake. They know that Harris, they know that Bryson are two of the slowest players on the PGA Tour. So they're going Bryson's to be targeted. Not, Bryson's not slow anymore. He really isn't. He really is. And it's all about being on the greens because you can look at this and, and break it down. He's probably not in that bottom 10% anymore. But again, this is about targeting guys on a week-to-week basis because you're going to have the stop clock on you from the second you from the second you tee off. And in this particular situation, it got under Harris's skin, probably got under Bryson's skin as well. But the more you know, telling sign here is that things started to unravel for Harris competitively. And I'm sorry, like I'm a huge fan of Harris English and what, how he's been able to turn his career around. But we can't suddenly start putting our arms in the air and saying, well, he can't do it if he's in contention because then where are we going to draw the line? Do you really think that the PGA Tour, which has been wildly inconsistent in enforcing its own policy, was going to dock the tournament leader a crucial shot when you consider the tricky conditions of 20-mile-per-hour winds, the golf course, which TPC Southwind has water everywhere, the stakes, where this is a $1.9 million paycheck to the winner, second uh, to last event of the regular season. Guys are jockeying for FedEx Cup positioning, as well as the showcase. This is one of the PGA Tour's premier events, a WGC, an invitational tournament. Do you really think that the PGA Tour was going to sabotage its own product and dock the tournament leader a shot? Answer that question, yes or no? Yes. I mean, I would hope no. so, I guess is my, oh, would be my answer. Of course they weren't. When's the last time the PGA Tour... Gave a stroke play penalty. Uh, New Orleans two years ago, was that it? If I remember correctly. Uh, the team I think it was like four years ago. And that, uh, and it was, I think it was Brian Campbell, maybe? I, I think I was covering it. Um, yeah, I, well, I was covering it. But like, that was just an inconsequential ruling. Like, they just slapped him. They said, oh, you've been a pro for two years. You're out of the mix. But hey, you ran a follow of this. We're going to dock you a shot. Of consequence... They haven't done it in 25 years. I don't think they've ever done it. 25 years. You said you consequence. Really I don't know that in a WGC, you really think in a WGC that the tour is going to dock the tournament leader a shot? Of course they're not. Uh, I don't know about that. I'd like to think so, I guess would be my point to that. Because if, if we aren't applying these rules universally across the board, then what's the use? When, what are we doing here? I mean, it's the famous. Yeah, what are we doing here? What are we doing, man? Because... It's only going to work slow. They have the most, they have the most on the line of they're they're They are the slowest group on the golf course every single Sunday. It doesn't matter whether, whether it's the St. Jude event or it's 3M or it's the John Deere. They still have, they still have variances built in that an official can say, I mean, official decides when the stopwatch starts. That's, that's the ultimate arbiter, right? Because you're going to decide exactly when to start this stopwatch. If you know, Bryson doesn't start his process until Harris English has sent his eight iron from the middle of the fairway, you're probably going to give him the benefit of the doubt and start, start that watch a little bit later. That being said, in this particular situation, you have two slow players in the anchor group who are falling behind and the whole world can see. Yes, you have to do something No about one can it. see. That's the magic of TV is that you cut it until they're ready. I would have I mean, loved... I would have loved to look over the rules official's shoulder because, you know, they, they trail in the golf cart. They're making sure that they're visible to all the players. And he's got his cell phone timer out, right? Like, I would have loved to look over his shoulder. And he's like, oh, yep, yep, I got my cell phone timer out. Does he even push start? Is he even pushing start on the timer? Or is it just the appearances and the optics of, yeah, you better, you better start hustling? 
My understanding is they were warned twice. So I think the actual officials did their job where they were told you're out of position, you're out of position. And they were out of position. Yeah, absolutely. Because of a ruling, because of two rulings. They were not going to make up ground. It wasn't going to happen. But I, I still think you're reading too much into this. Like, I don't know why you would sit and complain about something when everybody on Twitter is going to. Because be we all know what he, that he wasn't going to get penalized. He was not. The tournament leader to WGC I, was I, not going to get penalized for the PJ Tour. No chance. I don't know that I agree with you on that. I, I think it's, that's you being overly cynical. It hasn't happened. Situation. It, hasn't, it happened. hasn't happened because players realize it and they start running like Harris did. And that probably got him sideways. And that's probably why he, he made shot two double 40. bogeys and lost the he tournament. He shot 40 coming home. Absolutely. And I would say the same thing about Bryson. Again, they're both 41. slow players. They're both slow players. So I think that the idea that the narrative that I was reading on my way home from Tokyo was Harris was Thank punished because Bryce, what's that? Thank you for reading. Yep. You're welcome. The, the narrative going home was, all right, Harris got punished because Bryson is slow. That's not particularly fair or true. As I pointed no, out. And, that, and Harris, that was not my, that was not my takeaway at, at all. I, I basically just wrote how unfortunate it was to, to have it, to have it go down uh the, the way that it, that it that it did go down i do want to get into bryson um because this was another opportunity that he had to win a golf tournament just like the u.s open where he had an opportunity to win uh back-to-back u.s opens and instead came home uh, on the back nine with 44 at tory pines this wasn't quite as bad uh but it was still pretty awful a, a back nine 41 to plummet his way out of contention it looked like that bryson actually had an opportunity um, to, to steal this thing with some of Harris's stumbles and he couldn't get it done. Um, a little bit of inside baseball we can get into here, but I, I do want to get into the coverage I of know, Bryson I, because I know where you're because going he is, I know he is, exactly where you're I can't believe you taken, didn't lead the podcast with this because this aggravates taken, you. I know. He has taken some exceptions with how he has been perceived in the media. So this is how it went down last week. You may have read that Bryce DeChambeau had some controversial comments about COVID-19 about vaccine availability. You can read all that on GolfChannel.com. What happened was myself, uh, ESPN's Bob Herrick, and Golf Week Steve DiMeglio approached Bryson, and we were talking to him about kind of the effects of COVID, um, missing the Olympics, kind of his feelings there. And then the last question asked to him was, are you vaccinated? Bryson said no. And when the follow-up was, you know, do you regret not getting vaccinated earlier since it cost you to miss the Olympics? That's where he went off into saying no, that he's not going to get vaccinated, that he'd rather save the dose for uh, someone who needs it, even though, of course, the CDC and health experts around the world have said that uh, vaccine availability is not an issue. Bryson took exception to some of those stories and how he believes that he was portrayed in the media as as being um, either irrational, out of touch, uh, whatever the case may be. So he did not speak to reporters on Thursday. Went up to Bryson uh, took it upon myself, saw him on the range. I said, hey, man, well, are we okay after some of the blowback he got yesterday? He says no, that he was kind of sick of being basically screwed over, in his, in his words, uh, by the press, and that he's not going to talk to writers anymore. Uh, this is not the first time that we've, <laughs> we've heard that from a, a star player. It's certainly not the first time that, that um, one of us has been uh, chewed out by a player but you just kind of have to accept that and, and move forward. And Bryson was true to his word. He did not speak to reporters for each of the first three rounds after his back nine implosion at TPC Southwind. Uh, he was unavailable for comment. Pichetor media official could not find him 
um, in order to get comment about his round, pace of play situation, whatever the case may be. Do you think, Rex, that Bryson has a point that he has not been treated fairly in the press? No, I think he's been treated fairly. I think he's ended up on the wrong side of a lot of conversations, though. And, and I would say the vast majority of those situations were self-inflicted. Like, we can sit here and go through it. Now, there are some that are not. You know, whatever's happening between he and Bryce, I mean, he and Brooks still, that is not entirely self-inflicted. So that, that one's where he's having to take it on the chin. And people taunting him on the golf course, that has nothing to do with him. However, in this particular situation, he, he really should have thought it, thought it through. That was not an excuse that was ever going to float. Like, we all know that there's plenty of vaccines out there. You're going to get criticized for it. And in this particular situation, it lead, led to a, a bigger conversation about we have the Ryder Cup coming up in just a few weeks. What's Team USA and Team Europe, for that matter, going to do as far as are all 12 players vaccinated? Because that could make a difference in the outcome of these matches. So it led to a bigger conversation that he is a smart enough guy. He knew where he needed to fall on this. And he knew what he needed to say and he just didn't do it. So no, I, I don't think he's been treated unfairly. Not in this situation. Absolutely not. It caused a very strange vibe in Memphis. I mean, it looked like Bryson had the weight of the world on his shoulders for, for much of the, much of the golf tournament. Uh, he seemed unhappy. He was, he was brooding, just kind of simmering in his own misery. Um, even birdies weren't, you know, bringing um, much life to his face. And he was still, I thought pretty engaging with, with fans overall, certainly during his pro-am round, during um, during the competition rounds as well. I mean, to me, honestly, in my, in my experience, he's probably the most um, engaging with fans of any PGA Tour player. Uh, for, for better or worse, he acknowledges almost everyone who shouts something at him. Now, a lot of times that's <laughs> that, that might be to his detriment because uh, he, he tends to have rabbit ears. Um, but I think from a from a fan perspective, he's he's interesting in that sense because you know he does feel like you're, you're kind of supporting him vocally and, and he actually hears it. The, this, this Brooksy stuff is, is getting really interesting and I'm not sure that I like the direction that it's going. Obviously, we cannot ask Bryson the effects, but it's kind of what happens on social media where there's certain triggers when it comes to Bryson that people are just going to pile on, right? Like anytime he mentions something scientific, Clearly now, anytime something happens with COVID, um, anytime he mentions his equipment or his weight gain or something just brainy, it's just like an excuse for people to pile on. And whenever he plays poorly now, it seems like these, these paying customers, they feel entitled to, to start dishing some, some criticism his way. And so like on 12, they're saying, you know, where, where are you at Brooksy or, or hit it in the water or, or not your best. And as his frustration is mounting, that's when he kind of shoots back at them and his caddy, Brian Ziegler and Bryson kind of consulted with one of the security guards who was in the group, like, Hey, keep an eye on the hecklers. Um, it's, it's just, it's just not a great vibe out there when, when Bryson is competing. And I think, I think it's having an effect on him. I think it's, it's telling Rex, that Bryson was playing his best golf last summer and last fall when there were no fans. And, and sure, he's, he's popped up and he's played well in spots in 2021. He won at Bay Hill, uh, had a good run at the players, um, obviously had a chance to win the U.S. Open 
and here in Memphis. But when he doesn't play well, I, I think it, it just it really weighs on him and it becomes an experience inside the ropes that's not much fun for him. And I don't know how this ends except for Brooks basically standing up and saying, hey, guys, can you knock it off? Which I don't think he's going to do. You don't think really you're going to go out on that limb. Is that, that the hill you decide to die on? I don't think if, if, he, if he wants to be a grown up, if he wants to be a grown up, he could, yeah. he, he should, this, this is, this all, this all came to a head June 4th. You were covering the Memorial when uh, fans were calling Bryson Brooksy and people may or may not have been tossed by security and Brooks went on social media and he said, Hey guys, anyone who got thrown out or the, or the first 50 guys who respond to me if their day got cut short i'm giving you a case of beer from michelob ultra like that's where this thing crossed the line openly encouraging the heckling of a competitor is 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 crossing the line like, oh, right. fun little stuff they do on social media is fine but it's this is going to have an effect and it is having an effect on bryson inside the ropes and i, and I don't think it's fair I, no, no, it's not fair. And like I said, this is one of those things that it is not self-inflicted. A lot of those things that you just pointed out, when he starts dropping big scientific words, yes, everyone's eyes are going to roll back in the back of their head and you're going to think to yourself, stop being a nerd. Just go out and in this particular case, we want the cliches that the jocks give us, right? We don't want you to talk about how the barometric pressure is impacting your three-footers. Like that's ridiculous. No one wants to hear that. That being said, and you have to be, you have to be surprised here. That when he says that about getting vaccinated, you knew that Brooks was going to tweet something out, encouraging people to get vaccinated. Like that seems like such a missed opportunity for him that he could have like, let's be honest, like he's not he's not dialing it back. Like He's not coming to Bryson's aid anytime soon. That's not going to happen. I, no, know but I, right- I do. I do. I do think Brooks deserves credit and that he he is he definitely has turned down the temperature. I'm not sure whether he's doing that consciously or whether he was encouraged by some of the PGA Tour overlords to turn down the temperature of this feud. Remember the, the driver sucks comment at the open. Yeah, Brooks came back the following day later and said that, you know, I, I love my driver. Like that's a cute little tweak. That's not something that is really going to infuriate or inflame the tensions between the two. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. Like Brooks and Brooks could have come out and said, Oh, look, I, I love my vaccine so much. I got, I got two of them or, or something along those lines. Yes. So I, I, I do think he, he was either encouraged to do so, or he has consciously decided not to, maybe he's doing it for the good of team USA because they're going to have to uh, be sharing a team room here. No, no, no. He said he can month. put up with anybody for one week. Yeah, I mean, if that and if that isn't the most warmest, fuzziest thing you could possibly say to anyone that's in that team room, I can put up with anyone for a week. What if what if Tiger texted Brooks and said, "Yo, chill." I don't think it was going to be Tiger. I think someone was going to text him. It's My not going to be Stricker. Could. Well, Stricker's the one that's got this in his lap. It probably was not Stricker who texted him, but he's the one. And we, I was talking with Todd Lewis about this on the flight home from Tokyo, sort of talking ahead, and he was trying to come up with a way to how do you get Brooks and Bryson in the same room. I'm like, well, there's, there's only one way to do it. And Stricker has been very, very quiet when it's come to this particular issue. He hasn't been pressed for it at all because he's going to have to figure out not just how to keep them in the same team room together, but he's got to figure out how am I going to work out the pairings? Because, all right, clearly you're not going to pair those two, but you ha- almost have to keep them at separate ends of the spectrum, which pretty much means you're going to end up with Bryson with maybe one or two options. It's going to be Patrick Reed. It's going to be Webb Simpson. One of those two guys is going to have to fall on the sword here because no one else wants to play with Bryson in this situation. 
uh, Webb's going to have to make the team, and the way he's True. currently playing, uh, it doesn't appear that, that way. Uh, just as a quick aside, I asked Brooks last week, like, who would you, who would you want to partner with? Because I, I, it was kind of my subtle way of saying, hey, you've you've alienated a lot, a lot of your your U.S. team members, not just Bryson, but also Patrick Reed, <laughs> Dustin Johnson. They had their dust up last year. Brooks actually mentioned that he would not mind playing with Patrick Reed. He said that he actually likes the emotional roller coaster because he's so even keeled. So there's a little tip for you. Could you could see a Bryson or you could see a Brooks P Reed pairing. I could also see Brooks playing with Jordan. Um, I think those two personalities, if Brooks is really looking for a player who can certainly ride a ride a wave of motion, uh, you could do worse um, than than, part, than partnering. Uh, with Jordan Spieth. Before we before we go, Rex, uh, you're exactly right. I had an unbelievable time uh, in Memphis uh, enjoying the food scene. I hadn't been there in probably probably a decade. I did a, a Jared Lyle, who unfortunately uh, his anniversary of his passing just just came up. I did a Jared Lyle feature uh, probably about ten years ago, uh, and, and tied in with with St. Jude. And that was my only other experience in Memphis, and so I spent weeks. Um, researching, uh, asking people in the know, uh, what I should absolutely hit. And I was there for seven nights and I had barbecue seven different dinners. Uh, and yes, I am throwing um, fried chicken in with barbecue because it is, um, part of the um, Southern culture. And so, uh, you have been to Memphis. I'm sure you did not do it like I did it, but, <laughs> but every night I either had some combination of Fried chicken, ribs, pulled pork, brisket, sausage, two sides, beer. And I think on four of the seven nights, I also uh, slammed down a banana pudding. Um, if you want my full rankings of the seven places that I went, uh, you can head over to, to golfchannel.com. Uh, the Germantown uh, commissary was my number one get so i i put on there what i ordered and my general thoughts on my meal there it is i think the most descriptive writing i've done all year um uh, which is not saying a lot um but i had i had a lot of fun i had a lot of fun gorging and as soon as we take this as soon as we're done recording this podcast i think i need to hop on the peloton uh for for at least 45 minutes and start to to get some of these beef sweats going I don't think I've ever seen anyone who plans meals day in and day out. And my wife is in New Orleans, so like she lives to eat. She doesn't. Oh my god! Now the Zurich is also a terrific food event, obviously. I again, I have never seen anyone who plans like you do when it comes to these types of things. So Germantown Commissary is one. I don't want you to do your whole list and give it away, but what was two? Just out of curiosity. Two is a place called the Barbecue Shop, and I've actually had the most comments about this stop than any of the other dishes because. Uh, so I had a pulled pork sandwich there, which was, you know, good. I probably would have gotten the ribs next time. But what was interesting about this place is they are famous, Rex, for barbecue spaghetti. Nice. So right. if, you, if you think about it, it's it's spaghetti noodles. And instead of, let's say, like a meat sauce, it's actually like little slivers of pulled pork. It sounds disgusting, but it is absolutely delicious. Like the, the classic comfort food. That was the, what the barbecue shop was known for. It's a top five a barbecue restaurant in all of the country. Um, and I was very happy that I, that I made that stop. And secondly, I probably would have gone there for a second time 
if I didn't want to go to Corky's, but we were kind of pressed for time on Sunday night. No, we didn't get into the new schedule, but along this is in context. So the new schedule starting next year, there will be no playoff event in New Jersey that will start in Memphis is where the playoffs will start. So what you're telling me now is like you and I, we have, we got a beef, a literal beef over beef because you're going to take Memphis and I'm going to have to take the, the last two. Is that what I'm hearing right now? Oh no, I have no desire to go back to Memphis again. Oh, you're uh, done for, That's for it. a long time. Yes. I always, oh, wow. I, I always cover the BMW. I'm not covering the BMW championship this year. We got a quarantine ahead of um, uh, childbirth here, here in early September. So we got a quarantine, cannot go to the BMW. No, I'll let you go to, I'll let you go to Memphis. And it, go to Memphis. it is, it is, it is funny that you mentioned that you've never seen someone who, who plans out meals like I have. So I'm, I'm actually planning a trip to new Orleans next June. We were supposed to do it this year for my dad's 65th birthday, obviously because of COVID, we decided not to do it. I'm assuming next summer that things are going to be much better. I already have the meals planned out. Like I know which flight I'm going to take. I know where I'm going for lunch, where I'm going for dinner, where I'm going for uh, like a mid afternoon drink. I'm going, I know where I'm going for a nightcap. Like I have the whole three day trip already planned and it is 10 months away. Uh, I have no doubt. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure you've planned out every trip, every trip. And I do not do spontaneity very well. You do not. That's not your thing, but it, it works out. It works for you. I'll just leave it at that. I, I can be in a team room with anybody for one week. <laughs> uh, what do you, what are you firing up on your grill now that you're home for a home for a week? Uh, I, my first thing is going to be tomorrow. I'm going to do ribs because I haven't done ribs for a while. And what, what you, all the pictures you showed me, I, uh, I got a hankering. So tomorrow's going to be rib day. Uh, I'm sure they will not be as good as the ribs that I had uh, at Probably Cozy not. Corner, but I, I do look forward to seeing your Snapchats. Uh, Rex, glad you're back. Glad you're safe. Glad you're enjoying your family once again, even though they did not cut the lawn. Uh, thank you for listening in to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. We will recap the Wyndham Championship, the final event of the PGA Tour Super Season. Guys, we have finally made it, and it'll be playoff time uh, before we know it. Thanks for listening in. We'll talk to you next week. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big